Taxes Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, a big ruling on net neutrality and the future of rocket making. But first... Hong Kong on edge. So we're now into the 18th week of widespread protests in Hong Kong, and they're getting more violent. At least one protester has been shot with live ammunition. Some protesters tossed firebombs at police and tear gas and water cannons have become commonplace. The rhetoric is also heating up with protesters arguing that Beijing shouldn't be allowed to use Hong Kong as an open society for economic gain without actually letting it be an open society. Why all of this matters is threefold. First, you know, democracy and self-determination. Second, Hong Kong is viewed by many as the financial gateway between East and West. And right now it's unclear if those gates are about to be closed or maybe if the hinges are about to be ripped off. It's a lot of uncertainty and there is nothing that business likes less than uncertainty. Third, all of this comes in the midst of a trade war between the U.S. and China, with some in Hong Kong trying to use that as a wedge, pushing a bill that would require greater U.S. government scrutiny of the city's status as a separate trading partner to China. The bottom line, both sides are dug in without any peaceful resolution in sight. In 15 seconds, we will speak with a Wall Street Journal reporter in Hong Kong. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Natasha Khan, a Hong Kong-based reporter for The Wall Street Journal. These protests originally began over an extradition bill that's since been shelved. Are these protests now about a different piece of specific policy or more about how Hong Kong officials and police responded to the protests? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Originally, they were sparked by this extradition bill, which was withdrawn last month. And basically, in the beginning few weeks of the protests, the protest movement, the opposition movement began being very displeased with how the police handled the entire protest. And, you know, now it's kind of spiraled to an anti-government and now over the last few weeks, an anti-communist party uh, sentiment here. And right now, they're also been sustained by four more demands, I guess, that they want to be met. Um, three of them relate to the protests. So they would like for the protests to not be, any of the protests to be designated as riots. They would like amnesty for the protesters. They'd like a judge-led in- independent inquiry into how the police have handled the protests. And lastly is on universal suffrage, so democracy for the leader of the city and also the legislators and how they're voted for and chosen. How realistic, from your perspective, are those demands, or how re- how realistic, realistic is the wrong word. How amenable do you see Hong Kong officials slash Beijing being toward those demands? Definitely in the last few weeks, we've seen a pretty strong line from both Beijing and from uh, the local authorities that they don't really seem to be in the mood for more concessions. And I think that in the last few weeks, especially as there's been increasing unrest on the streets, that it's possible that you know, those concessions might not be met as, you know, the, the line now from authorities is that the violence needs to stop before any meaningful dialogue can be had or any concessions can be considered. Speaking of violence, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, who is Sang Chi Kin? So yesterday was National Day, uh, the 70th anniversary of Communist Party rule in China, and San Chi Kin is an 18-year-old high school student, and he was shot in the chest by a police officer uh, yesterday, which has sparked a lot of new protests today. In fact, there are some going on right now as we speak. And shot with live ammunition, correct? Not shot with a rubber bullet, shot with a metal bullet. 
Exactly. You know, we saw videos of him with blood coming out of his chest. The police have said it was in self-defense, and videos we've seen show Sang swinging at the police officer with a metal bar. But uh, either way, there's just been a lot of uh, anger today here in Hong Kong, especially within the opposition movement on that development. And so any any hope of sort of the, the movement quieting down after National Day, as some had thought, in, especially in the government levels, I think have been dashed. You know, as mentioned, right now there are protests in three different areas, at least in Hong Kong, going on as we speak. And it's about 10.30 in the evening right now. You're not normally somebody covering street protests. Uh, usually you're on a corporate beat. So how have all these protests affected Hong Kong in the sense of it being a global financial and business hub? They've been going on for 17 weeks, and I think one of the biggest impacts we've seen is actually on Hong Kong as a tourism destination and uh, and retail. I mean, you know, this week actually is, uh, as mentioned, National Day in, in China, and many people there have week-long holidays. And usually Hong Kong is teeming with people, teeming with tourists. You know, the restaurants are full, people everywhere, and it's been very quiet this week. Tourism is way down, um, and so is retail. I think unprecedented – oh, not unprecedented presented levels, but I think some of the worst since SARS in, in, in 2003, you know, there, there's, you know, Hong Kong's notorious for its high property prices, and there's sort of been talk now that some hotels now are, are so cheap that it's actually cheaper to just move into a hotel than even a subdivided flat, which is sort of a, a apartment that's been divided into a few yep. sections, because again, rent is so high. In terms of, a, as a finance center, I mean, we've seen some talk of concerns. I mean, for, for now, it seems that you know, the banks are still here and other companies are still headquartered here, et cetera. But, you know, it's unclear at this time how that's going to play out in the long term. Bottom line on this, you know, from when I read uh, kind of protest leaders talk, am I wrong to think that at least from the protesters point of view, the end game here is if not unofficial autonomy is maybe even official autonomy and really a break with China, which is obviously something it's hard to imagine Beijing's ever going to go. But isn't that kind of where we're heading in terms of at least the demands? interesting and quite a contentious question. I think that this was never sort of an independence or independence. I guess you're yeah, independence. independence. Yeah. I think that really wasn't much of a sort of something in the, the conscious of a lot of people here. But in the last few weeks, we have seen more signs that some protesters and movement, maybe not some of the more prominent ones, but, you know, holding up independence flags, things like that. But at the same time, I think the majority of people that are on the streets are really just asking for a government that's accountable to the people. You know, I, we talked a little bit about what originally spurred the protests. And yes, it's about the extradition bill. But I think that when I talk to a lot of protesters here, what they're really very angry about is that, you know, when they all took to the streets on June 9th to ask for this bill to be shelved, delayed, or withdrawn. At, at that time, that was what they were asking for. Organizers of that march estimated that a million people marched. That's one-seventh of the population here. And maybe an hour after the march ended, officially ended, the government issued a press release that basically said, we've heard your demands, but we're going to continue having this bill being heard in the legislature on Wednesday. And that really caused a lot of anger here, and I think really is propelling the momentum of the movement as it goes on, is that the people feel that the government isn't listening to them and instead are serving under the behest of Beijing. And I think that really is at the heart of it, is that whatever form it takes, 
that the government should be listening to people who will take to the streets week after week and asking for their voices to be heard. Natasha Khan of The Wall Street Journal, thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, a federal appeals court yesterday upheld the Federal Communications Commission's move to eliminate net neutrality, an Obama-era rule that basically said broadband service providers must treat all internet traffic the same, rather than speeding some up or slowing some down based on how much they are or aren't being paid to do so. But at the same time, the court also stopped the FCC's efforts to prevent states from implementing their own net neutrality rules. As Axios's Kim Hart sums up, quote, while the mixed ruling allowed both sides to claim some level of victory, it opens up 50 potential new fights. And finally this morning, a Los Angeles-based startup called Relativity Space just announced that it's raised $160 million in venture capital funding, with a source telling me the valuation is a little bit below $500 million. But it's not really the money that's interesting here. It's what Relativity Space does. Specifically, it is building an automated factory for 3D printing custom rockets, which could then be launched to deliver small satellites into orbit. And that type of manufacturing process could help Relativity stand out because it's faster than traditional rocket manufacturing. And the custom part means that each rocket could be specifically tailored to the satellite needs. Now, this overall is a very crowded space without too much proven success yet. But Relativity now does at least have some capital runway to try to make it work. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Fried Scallops Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.